Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. All right, well, welcome into the Apex Hour, everyone. It is March. I'm so happy to be here with you. And today we are talking my language, the language of music. Um, Our Apex event this week featured the Percussion Ensemble, Clocks in Motion. And I've got all four members of Clocks in Motion um, here with me in the studio. But before we talk to them, what is the Percussion Ensemble, you may be asking yourself. Um, And we just did this concert this afternoon, earlier today, actually. And I'm going to play you a little sample of one of the pieces that they played uh, so you can check it out. So here is some of what we heard earlier.
All right. Well, cool. That gives you a little bit of a sample of some of the instruments we're going to be talking about today. You're listening to KSU Thunder 91.1. This is the Apex Hour. Let's introduce the group to you. So there are four players in Clocks in Motion. And if you guys could each tell me, you know, maybe a sentence or two, we'll start with Sean about yourself and what you do. So I'm Sean Cleave. I'm the founding member of Clocks in Motion. Been doing this crazy project for almost a decade. That's amazing. I know, next year. And uh, I live in Madison, Wisconsin. And cool. I house the most of our instruments and in my uh, rehearsal facility south of Madison. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, next. Yeah, my name's uh, Chris Jones. And I've been with the group for four years. And I'm, uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I do some teaching. I do some freelance uh, yeah, do a bunch of different stuff. Um, happy to be here, excited to be here, and always excited to be with my uh, Clocks in Motion family. And look great in sunglasses, by the way. Na- naturally, of course. Sunglasses indoors. It's a I, great look. You know, the sun never uh, stops shining, you know. <laughs> Amen, brother. All right, Matthew. Thank you, Lynn. Hi, everyone. My name is Matthew Coley, and uh, I'm originally from Waterloo, Iowa. And uh, I joined Clocks in Motion when Chris joined in 2016. And uh, we, uh, you know, it's really great. Oh, I was going to say it's great to be back at SUU. This is maybe my third or fourth time here working with Lynn Vartan and the percussionist. So that's exciting. All right. And the lady of the group. Yes. My name's Megan Arns. Um, I've been in Clocks in Motion for about one year now, officially. So when I'm not playing with clocks, I'm teaching at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. And we are we have a proud alumnus of SUU, Jordan yeah. Nielsen, in our percussion studio also, also. So it's a nice connection there. Yeah, I know. There's so many connections. We've been uh, really enjoying finding out the small world. You know, it's a big world, but a small world at the same time. Well, my first question, and, and Sean, maybe you can feel this one, is what is the sort of spirit behind the group Clocks in Motion? We talked about the name earlier and where it comes from, but what are some of the like missions and visions of this particular percussion quartet? Absolutely. Uh, that's a great question. We, uh, so Clocks in Motion for me is really a way to uh, a creative outlet for each of these four artists to bring a personal touch into our realm of kind of percussive artistry. So uh, the way that's manifested itself uh, over the years has been uh, a commitment to instrument building uh, and bringing instruments into new contexts. Uh, Also through commissioning new pieces by living composers uh, and presenting those, those, those pieces using our new instruments, but also not being afraid to kind of stay within the traditional percussion instruments uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about all those things as well. Uh, and also, uh, Clocks in Motion has has dedicated itself to also playing in sort of non-traditional venues over the years and also having a commitment to classic percussion works from kind of the past century. Our repertoire is relatively old, uh, new in, in the span of classical music. It's only been about 100 years old. Uh, so as a result, uh, I think our music kind of starts in the new. Right. And we're only now just kind of getting into this place where 
where we're starting to kind of harken back to the old stuff. So when the particularly in the first five years of Clocks Motion, when we were at a university uh, and we had kind of unlimited space and rehearsal time, we commit ourselves to playing these gigantic percussion sextets, sometimes 10, 12 players covering an entire stage with instruments. And now we've really committed ourselves to a much smaller quartet size. But as you've seen, we still do travel with a lot of instruments, but it, it, it's a really different kind of model than cool. what we used to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's another question that I'd like and to, to ask. And maybe Chris, you can kind of help and jump in with this one. And that is that you guys are living in four totally different places. Um, and now you're touring together. I'd love to know, and I'm sure our audience would love to know a little bit about the logistics of how, like, how does a performance come to be with you guys? How do you rehearse? Do you rehearse online or anything like that? Or do you come together? And then maybe talk about your touring rig a little bit, because I think people don't understand, like, okay, you're a quartet, but with an hour and a half of setup before you can play an hour and a half, hour of teardown or something if, like that. If it was an hour and a half only, I think we'd all be really, really <laughs> proud of ourselves with how fast we were able to get in and get set up. Um, yeah, I mean, it, starting at the, let me uh, kind of take, <laughs> let me take my sunglasses off so I can uh, focus here a little bit. Um, the real so, Chris comes Right, there, this, um, I, I would say, let me start with the logistics of just how we manage ourselves yeah. as an ensemble. Um, a lot of it is DIY. And it's really? all do it yourself. So, like, as far as rehearsal spaces, uh, we do have a rehearsal space in Madison um, that we have used in the past. But um, with the current formation of the group, actually, we have a lot more flexibility now to rehearse in Waterloo at Matthew's studio. We can go to Columbia, which is actually where we started this tour um, and rehearsing at the university of, that Megan teaches at. Um and down in Nashville, I, you could also be uh, teaching at the university or uh, using the university that I play at. So how does this all come together? Well, we have meetings every two to three weeks. Oh, and really? we are, uh, you know, di- you know, Skype, FaceTime, you know, all of the the standard video chats. But, you know, for us, that's that's how we can stay on top of our administrative tasks, some, you know, goals for the group, short term, long term. And just to keep checking in, um, mm-hmm. this, you know, this tour doesn't happen out of thin air. It's, it's a lot of hours of sending out contacts and making sure that our logistics are set. We've got the travel plans, the dates, and, you know, that's how we can stay on top of that. Compared to, say, a rock band, though, you're not rehearsing, like, together three times a week. So you kind of prepare your music on your own, and then you're meeting regularly online, but you're not playing together until you designate a rehearsal chunk. Is that, Would you say that's accurate? That, that's uh, very accurate, actually. Um, you know, the each of us are professional musicians, so we have music in, a, in our lives in a lot of different ways. So just like we would prepare for any of the gigs or our teaching or anything that we do as individuals, we prepare on our own with, you know, the expectation that we have three days of rehearsal before we start any tour. And that's where we'll put together a lot of the music that we'll have on tour. Now, you know, the nice thing is, is that we've been playing together for a group for a while. So we're not learning new pieces every single tour. So we get a lot more familiarity with not just the music, but how we perform and work as an ensemble. Right. And having that familiarity just really makes our time together just more efficient and we can prep and have 
you know, a really great tour and a great product to bring out. And I'm audiences. sure everybody would love to know, like, do you guys ever argue during rehearsals? No. I mean, that's absolutely one never. Of those things, no, right? that. No. There's Feel free some, to jump in here, guys. Some, <laughs> if you. There is some gentle uh, pushing on each other a little bit. But, I mean, that, uh, but that's a you challenge. know, but the thing is, you know, I think that's part of any growing pains for any group, right? And fortunately, you know, uh, playing in a chamber ensemble like this is a lot like any sort of relationship, you know. Yeah. And you know, when you find the right person, the severity of arguments goes down dramatically. That's true. That's you true. Know, you kind of figure out, oh, we're arguing now. Yeah. And then you and then you kind of look at each other and say, Oh, this is fine. Yeah. You know, you find a way way through it. So this is the maturity of these four players here, is that we've kind of learned and, and also just the right chemistry. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I mean, throughout my decade doing this, it's been Yeah, <laughs> yeah there have been some pretty explosive ones. Right. But but you know, fortunately we're not in that place now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do and, yeah. and I think since there are four of us, you know, some you know, things sometimes get frustrating with logistics or a part or something. And so with there being four of us, I think if someone's feeling down or frustrated, it we kind of use each other to help bring us up. But we know, are starting to know like when somebody just needs space or how you can help someone kind of come out of that funk. That's what I was going to ask. Do, do you have um, sort of roles, like family type roles that you kind of fall into? <laughs> like one is the caregiver and the nurturer but tends to be more than others or one tends to be the rebellious one. I know we were joking about the soloist, yeah, that whole thing. One Ma- of you tends Matthew to be the, the diva. Soloist, Matthew yes. is the soloist. Uh, I, I disagree, but that... <laughs> Chris wants to be the soloist. <laughs> I mean, but do you have sort of tendencies uh, that way? I think uh, the soloist is going to speak now. So. <laughs> Everyone back up. Everyone quiet, please. Um, yeah, so we do kind of delineate the ranks a little bit that way just to, to make it a little more effective. Um, for example, um, kind of in the administrative way, Chris handles a lot of our logistical planning for the tour. Um loosely uh we're all kind of responsible for trying to book gigs and handle that um sean you deal with a lot of the the music and library yeah parts yeah. of archiving and stuff so there are those roles and then when we're on tour it really it really is kind of split up i don't i don't know i mean well i mean i think that's pretty i mean but matthew you also handle a lot of our like recording projects and have been our audio you know, Starting go to, to yeah. well, in addition to your soloist, uh, yeah. you know, it keeps me really busy, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, there's whatever work that needs to be done has to be done and no right. one else is going to get it done except right. the four of us here. And sometimes, you know, uh, you, you, you ask for help because you're like, I'm swamped. I need, can someone, and I think that's probably the, one of the, my favorite things about the group is the level of support and and care and love for each person it just shows through especially on those times when you're like hey guys i need can i can you help me with this or as megan was referring to earlier if we get frustrated it's like we're learning about like space or words of encouragement or actions right and that's yeah. really important yeah, yeah i think uh that's one aspect or a big aspect of why it works so well is that everyone seems to be keenly aware yeah. of what's needed at the times like what you're saying, what Megan was saying when someone may be having a bad day or needing a little yeah. pick me up, 
Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we'll step in there or, you know, it's time for me to drive the truck because you've been driving for <laughs> right, four hours. Right. So <laughs> pull over, you know, I think the reason, I think the reason some of us are laughing at this is because we all know we've all played in groups or this group and it's not so distant past has had issues of right. like, wow, you, you need to work on your social skills a little bit. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, we've, we've had all those kinds of situations and and I think what's really nice about this group now is that in the past we used to I used to assign really like particular uh, officer positions like you are the, the, in charge of social media and you're in charge of this and you're in charge of that and that that's really convenient because then you know who to yell at when something uh. goes wrong but it's actually really not good I think for the health of the overall ensemble so that's why we've kind of gone into this place where it's like well what are our responsibilities you start thinking it's like oh yeah I have done a lot of this stuff so maybe I'm that guy you know so we, I think we're in a, a more organic way of organizing it now cool mm-hmm. cool well I want to talk about instruments and I'm going to try this clip again because one of the things that is a really interesting interesting is that you guys use a dulcimer sometimes in your concerts and so let me see if i can get a chance for a snippet of this dulcimer so that we can hear what it sounds like kind of give you that sample there. So that's an example of the dulcimer being used with a percussion ensemble. And that's one of the things that you guys were talking about kind of in your mission is that you use unusual instruments and maybe play in unusual venues. So um, maybe Matthew, talk about the dulcimer a bit. And then, and I'd love to hear about some of the other instruments and venues. Sure. Uh, so the dulcimer you were hearing is an American Appalachian hammer dulcimer is an extended range instrument. So it's, it's fully chromatic for four octaves. Like you would, if you can picture a piano keyboard, it has all those notes with, less than not not seven octaves of notes but only four um and and that is actually the the piece you heard is is one 
is is the pure sort of way that I've always imagined being able to present the dulcimer. Um, I wanted to bring you know new cultures, new new uh, folk music into the realm of like what's sort of the standard uh, uh, repertoire for percussion ensemble and you utilize the instrument in a chamber music setting. And so that's part of, of what excites me about playing the instrument. Um, cause but, the dulcimer normally would be alone, right? It, or in an ensemble yeah, with like fiddles or right. It's, it's traditionally, uh, depending on the, the, where we are in the world in the Northern hemisphere, traditionally it's, it's sort of, uh, it, you know, it's, mainly presented in kind of your um, close quarters, like very small spaces and, and a small group or in a solo mm. aspect. Um, and, and, and a kind of a funny uh, bit of information about the background of the dulcimer is the string bands of, of the Blue Ridge mountains in Appalachia and in the U S which are fiddles and banjos and guitars right. typically don't have a dulcimer, because of the quality of sound oh. and the, the the kind of constant resonance right. that happens when you strike the instrument, so uh, so you'll kind of find the dulcimer players hanging hanging it off in their own groups and creating their own ensembles. Well, it they blends it blends so well with the keyboard percussion instruments, the marimbas, the vibraphones, and so it's just great to hear those instruments. Yeah, and that, and that really attracted me. I, from the very beginning, because even, you know, George Crumb, who's a, a, a contemporary compo- composer of um, percussion music, was also fascinated with it. He was from that area of, mm-hmm. of our country, and he he composed for it in some of his pieces. Some other um, composers from the 70s and 80s u- utilized it, and, and from that and just the sound really was inspiring to me as being something that could work really – well and just be kind of a fascinating addition to Mm. what we normally think of as percussion ensemble. So that's something that you've been very interested as a player. And then Megan, I know that you have a background in in African music. You've studied quite a bit of African music, if I Mm -hmm. I remember right. Yeah, I have. We haven't incorporated anything specific yet with the 2021. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I have a study of broad trip that I take to Ghana every summer. Oh, how cool. Can I and go? So, sure. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But where we study um, the Jeel from the northern part of Ghana and southern part of Burkina Faso and also Ewe music from the southeastern portion of Ghana. The Jeel is like a keyboard instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is the Ewe music like? Yeah, the Ewe music is mostly drumming. Uh-huh. And when you say music in a lot of African countries, it's all-encompassing. So it's not just the drumming, but it includes singing, dancing. It's the whole, you know, culture of what surrounds just the instruments. It's day-to-day life. It's not like, okay, we're going to sit down at a concert and watch music. It's part of everything. Exactly. And everyone's participating. So, you know, there's less of a performer and an audience. It's like everyone is participating in some way. And how does that music manifest itself in your current life? You have an African drumming ensemble? Yeah, at the university I teach at, we have an African drumming ensemble where we do the the Dagara music, the Ewe music. And then we also study music from Zimbabwe, the oh. Shona people of Zimbabwe. Oh. And that instrument is um, it's called the imbira. imbira yeah. yeah, so it's very thin metal tines that are attached to a, to a, a hardwood board and tuned. And so... 
you might say like a thumb piano. Yeah, um, it's but, a very spiritual music. It's in some if I if I'm remembering right, in some uh, scenarios, it, it even kind of calls spirits to come into the gathering. Is yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's very tied into the Shona culture and the traditional religion there. So it's used with traditional healing ceremonies, wedding ceremonies. Um, birth ceremonies, circumcision ceremonies, all kinds of, all parts of life in Shona culture. But it's also used as a contemporary instrument too. People are, Zimbabweans are composing for the instrument in non-traditional settings as well. Cool. I think that's happening in, in all of the music I've been studying. And so I'm sure is, you know, is very common across the entire African diaspora. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and some, there are many other unusual instruments that you have built and developed. So maybe Sean, if you could share a little bit about some instruments we haven't yet talked about. Yeah. So I'll start kind of from the beginning. Actually, what inspired the very start of Clocks of Motion was an instrument building project. Oh. uh, I I really wanted to play, there's a massive percussion sextet. There's a a whole concert length uh, by Xenakis, a Greek composer. uh, called uh, Pleiad or Pleiades, mm-hmm. Pleiades you know, from the, yeah. from the stars. And, uh, with the Sixen. Yeah, and so we built <laughs> Sixen. I took an entire summer with another one of the group members at the time. And uh, it, Sixen are these uh, 19-pitched metallophone keyboards that we built out of aluminum channel, a uh, four-inch aluminum channel. And so we had a railroad cutting saw and drill bits, and we made these things. It took us the entire summer to do it. Oh, my gosh. And what's really interesting about the Sixen is that they're not tuned identically. Right. They're, uh, all the keyboards are within three-quarters of a tone of one another. So it creates this really wild harmonic spectrum. So that's what really kind of started Clocks in Motion was an instrument building project. From there, uh, we went and we built a quarter tone marimba, or actually kind of retuned a marimba quarter tone flat, oh, so cool. that we could stack it with a regularly tuned marimba to create a twenty-four tone scale oh, instead wow. of the traditional twelve tone scale that we know and love. Um, and actually, we're still using that today. The the, uh, the quarter tone marimba just made it on a premiere that we did uh, this September, a piece oh. called Chroma by Andrew Rinfleisch. Oh. He used the marimba. Um, so that's, that's a great resource. And then, uh, on a piece we played today, we used our Galvatone pipes, which we made at the same time that we made the Corimba, which is a set of 88 pipes, steel 88, pipes. There's 88 there are 88 and we only have, uh, we have less than half of them here with us right now because they're actually tuned in quarter tones as well. Oh. So it's a 44 tone scale with with quarter tones. Wow. So it doubles it to 88. So we have all of those back in our and, – and frames for them as well. And then I'll let Matthew maybe take over and talk about some of the glass instruments. Yeah. Yes. And and uh, I think you're, maybe you're going to play an excerpt of, of something with the glass instruments and the galvatone. Yeah. Possibly. possibly but yeah. it, anyhow, we today we used our Aquarian, which is the glass marimba. And this is an instrument that I built uh, along with – uh, a glass instrument maker named Jim Doble. And this comes f- from uh, a, you know, a longtime project of mine of and a fascination with, with glass sounds and creating uh, a different sound palette and soundscape with glass instruments, collaborating with glass blowing artists and, um, and then also with this maker of the glass marimba. But we have, I, I created the resonators for it, the tuned pipes that go under it to kind of amplify the sound. And so now we use it in, in our repertoire. That is so cool. And I want to make sure to let our listeners know about your website and YouTube channel. So the web address is 
clocksinmotionpercussion.com. clocksinmotionpercussion.com. And from there, you can go to your YouTube channel and all of that. Exactly. And there is a CD coming soon. Yeah, uh, we've actually already recorded it. We're just in kind of the editing and mastering and completion process. So hopefully this summer or shortly after, it's an EP featuring uh, our soloist, uh, Matthew Coley <laughs> on Hammer Dulcimer. Well, it's a really special project to us because Matthew actually arranged these Hammer Dulcimer tunes years ago for kind of larger percussion ensembles. And a few years ago, uh, the group really wanted to invest in this. And so we had him actually, and we were playing with these kind of cut up parts from other things. And Matthew finally like committed these like real arrangements specifically for Clocks of Motion. So he wanted to make a, a disc with it. So what, there's three tracks on it, four tracks? Yeah, yeah three, or like four. three or four yeah. tracks on it. And um, and it's just really special. It's a really special project for us. So we just recorded it in December. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the instruments that we've been talking about are you definitely can check out on their YouTube page. And of course, it's it's YouTube, so you can see them as well. And and the glass marimba is really quite quite gorgeous and i was um just the combinations of sounds so one of my favorite moments in the concert earlier was a, a piece by one of your resident kind of composer like this resident composer program that you have called clock shop i'd love to talk a little bit of, and let our listeners know what that program is and maybe introduce the composer and get into her work a little bit Yes, uh, our clock shop composer is named Jennifer Beller. She's on faculty at the University of Las Vegas, which is actually where we're heading after right. we're done with here. Next stop on yeah. the tour. So clock shop was uh, inspired by sort of just a question we had uh, about the way we think about percussion repertoire mm -hmm. in the fact that we, you know, our repertoire is relatively young, like we said earlier, but because of the youth of our repertoire, we don't have composers like Haydn. That wrote for us. They, right. It just didn't exist then. And Haydn was such a, an important composer for for modern music because he wrote 104 symphonies. And you know, maybe not every one of those symphonies is amazing, but what he did for the orchestra, for just how we think about orchestral music, is so profound. And you know, composers like Beethoven and Mozart wrote so many string quartets. And nowadays, as percussionists, we think that a composer has written a lot for percussion when they've written, you know, five, six, seven pieces. And we think, oh, that's a great percussion composer. But we don't have that person that wrote like a hundred percussion quartets. Right. It just doesn't exist. Right. So, uh, Clock Shop was, is an idea to start with a composer and to say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have you write multiple pieces for us over the course of years. And we wanna hear where that's going to go. Where, where, the, what's that fourth piece gonna sound like? What's the fifth piece gonna sound like? All, all working with the same group. And, and so Jen, Jennifer Beller, she just completed um, her first piece for us, was a, a, of Maker and Movement, which is what we played on the concert today. And then uh, next week, we're premiering her second piece, which is oh. called This We Have Now, which features the hammer dulcimer and some drum set and just kind of a really interesting, very different type of piece from the cool. first one. So, yeah, so and we're kind of halfway through this residency right now with her. And I think we have a bit of a sample yeah. of her work. Let's see if we can get that going. So go ahead and see if you can get it going and we'll, we'll see. And te while you're sort of playing it, tell us what we're hearing. So this is going to be the first movement of a maker and movement, which is called Pendulum Surround. And the instruments you'll hear from are, you'll he actually hear, it's a relatively homogenous sound, but if you really listen closely, you'll hear all the different instruments in there. There's marimba, vibraphone, uh, galvatone pipes, and also the aquarium, the glass marimba is in there. Should I hit play? Yeah, go for it. Let's see if we can get some audio. And It is playing, so. Ah, 
Let's see. I wonder if I'm not going to. All right. Well, let, let's while, <laughs> while we're doing that, let me do a little technical. I've never tried to play from that computer sure. before. And um, yeah. And in the meantime, you can come over here and do it. Um, and while you're doing that, let me get, let, let me get you moving here. Um, maybe what I'd love to do, I have some other questions ready for the rest of you. Um, if you guys could tell me, you know, you're all incredible musicians on your own who have had all kinds of different teachers and different influences on your life. So I'd be curious to know um, what musical influences have been really important to you? Are there musicians that you really look up to or really inspire or, um, uh, you know, not necessarily percussionists, but, um, you know, that might be food for thought for our listeners. So who would like to go first? I can start on on this uh, question. So y- there, there of course have been um, key people in my life through the years that have helped inspire things. Um, c- certainly, certainly some teachers that I've had. Um, you know, some percussion professors like Christopher Dean and Michael Burrett and Mark Ford and all those people who are just incredibly inspiring performers and pedagogues and composers too. And that's, and that's something that was really important for me along the way was, um, well, in my day and age, back in my day, uh, back I in find myself my saying day. that too. Oh, yeah. No worries. Uh, oh, um, you know, my teachers all encouraged me and, and the students around me to, to compose music because as percussionists, as Sean has alluded to, we don't have a ton of, of repertoire. Um, we're in a very early period of percussion music and instruments. Um, so, so they, they were also super encouraging for composing. Um, and then some of the performers that, you know, I'm just thinking like through some of the CDs that I would listen to, like, like on constant play and in my undergrad, um, you know, Nancy Zeltzman, who uh, was a marimba player, but also uh, um, Keith Jarrett, who's oh, pianist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love Keith Jarrett. Um, uh, Rostropovich, the cellist. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then kind of later on, I'm not going to be able to come up, come up with sp- specific names right now, but, um, and we were talking a little bit about this at Apex, but the Eastern European folk musicians yeah. and how they treat rhythm and the composers and how they treat harmony and kind of extended chromaticism or whatever the term is for that. But um, that's been a, a really um, profound um, inspiration to me is, is is kind of listening carefully to what they do. Ah, cool. um, f- we heard Fantasy earlier, and mm-hmm. it's composed by Sergio Cretu. Um, and then there's kind of a whole lineage of dulc- dulcimer symbolum artists from that uh, part of the world that have been inspiring to me. Cool. So maybe I'll pass it off. Or would, do you want to play I think the I'm going to try excerpt? to play this and give you guys a second to think about your musical inspirations. Yeah. Um, so let's hear a little bit of, of Maker in Movement. Uh, by Jennifer Beller. Thank you. 
All right. Well, that is an incredible combination of sounds. That piece is called Of Maker and Movement. The composer is Jennifer Beller, and the performers are Clocks and Motion Percussion, who are in the studio today. You are listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Welcome back, Clocks. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. Yes. Great Thank to be you. here. Okay, let's get back to the serious talk. We were talking about musical inspiration. All right, Chris, go. Okay, I guess. All right, so I'll be the next person. Um, so what inspires me musically? I, I kind of have, uh, like I grew up um, playing or singing in church choir, playing in handbell choir, you know, middle school band, and then, you know, changed over to percussion in middle school. And I, I used to listen to a lot of rock bands and jazz combos, and I really tried to get my hands on as much different kind of music as possible. And so my interests have always been varied. So I, I always get inspired by, right now I've been a lot more inspired by singing uh, singer-songwriters, people like Andrew Bird. I really love the 80s. I'm a big Hall & fan. No uh, way. Oh, yeah, huge Hall & fan. And, but, you know, also in the classical side, you know, the the wonderful thing about being in clocks is that I'm surrounded by just a group of people who are phenomenal musicians. And each one of them I actually look up to and I'm inspired by, um, and and I've I've told them all you know individually in moments like it's that's part of like you know the incredible thing about our group is yeah. I get to work and play with just phenomenal people who are also fantastic musicians. How beautiful! So you are inspired by those around you. I am. <laughs> okay, Megan, Sean, who would like to go? Sure, I'll go next. So I maybe had a little bit different musical upbringing than a lot of like classical percussions in the United States because I grew up playing in a fife and drum corps. Oh yeah. And I wasn't playing drums. I was playing fife. Oh no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had wanted to play uh, flute and band and there were too many flute players. And so I ended up joining this fife and drum corps and that ended up being my primary music education. Wow. Yeah. And eventually you know, they found out that I was a closet percussionist and recruited me for the drumline. Uh, but I sort of grew up in this very traditional American rudimental style. Yeah. And, you know, whereas band, like middle school and high school bands might go to competitions, yeah. we would go to things called musters, which were five and drum corps from across the country would gather together and, at a fort and do reenactments and oh, yeah. do performances together. We would have mass bands. So I grew up with a lot of like Scottish music. We were talking about Irish music before. Yeah. We would play on penny whistles oh, yeah. um, at night because the fives were too loud. So got a lot of experience with traditional Irish music that way. Oh, cool. And so I think that that was a huge influence on me. I mean, obviously it affected my musical upbringing, but it also made me really interested in the way that music exists in cultures, not just yeah. on its own but right. the way it exists among a group of people. And so I ended up going on to study some ethnomusicology in graduate school. And that has really, we've talked about some of my interest in African music, but that's sort of all tied into that. Ah. Um, and then I think the other thing for me too, is not really a musical influence, but traveling. Ah, yeah. I just love, I have the travel bug yeah. bad and just love going new places and finding new music. Yeah. So Cool. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. All right, Sean. 
Musical influences and inspiration. My musical upbringing was very serious and rigorous. I see. <laughs> uh, I come from a musical family. Uh, my mom is a professional piano teacher, and she did that since before I was born. And her father was a concert pianist, and uh, played in Carnegie Hall and Avery Fisher and all the did the whole touring thing, European tours. And so I grew up, I started piano lessons and violin lessons at the age of three and four. And was a very serious pianist up in, up in, as a high schooler. And I used to travel out to Long Island where my grandfather lived and take piano lessons with him all summer. Uh, and I got into like eighth grade all the way through when I graduated high school. And so I learned, I played Chopin and I played Brahms and I played the Greek piano concerto and Beethoven one and all wow. that stuff. And, uh, everything was fine until, uh, everything was, fine. <laughs> everything was great. Everything was going to swimmingly until, uh, I was a sophomore in high school and I got a chance to play timpani in uh like the regional orchestra ah. and uh and it was Dvorak Ace Symphony and I played and uh and I decided this is really cool and piano isn't so cool <laughs> and and when I got into my my later in high school and I was doing more piano competitions I kind of really hated performing on stage as a pianist I felt like I was on, on the spotlight I didn't like that I liked playing with the larger ensembles and and so I decided to major in percussion. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I went to college and did the conservatory thing and all that. And I was really focused on getting an orchestra job. And throughout that experience, when I moved to New York for my master's degree, I really discovered my love of new music mm-hmm. and, uh, and found myself more excited to play Milton Babbitt than Brahms. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And it just, it just went, it took this really wild left turn for me. And I'm the kind of person that as a, as a musical influences are concerned, uh, I get really obsessed mm. with with one thing at a time, and see, I, I was the guy that that walked around the college campus with the earbuds and listening to Schubert Leader. <laughs> you know, like I would listen to them on repeat, like you know the thousand Schubert songs, just like over and over. You know, and I and I, I, I listened to you know the Mozart symphonies just just again and again and again. And so and now my musical obsessions are like Animal Collective, you know. Oh, <laughs> you know what I awesome. I and I or Casey Musgraves. I really like her singing, you know. Yeah. So I'll just like listen to that again and again and again and again. And um and I've always been that way. And so Clocks in Motion for me is like it it was it was something that I kind of found during my doctorate degree uh cuz you know, academia wasn't really I thought it wasn't really where I wanted to go and Clocks in Motion was sort of taking off in this direction. And I was like, well, this is everything I love. I get to perform at a really high level. And I still get to freelance as an orchestra musician when I when I want to. So uh and I still get to play timpani, which is fabulous. It was always like yeah. my, my first my first love in percussion. So still get to play timpani with the Madison Symphony as a substitute. And it just gives me that little, it's like that bite of the cookie where you're like, oh, that's just what I needed. You know, I so I get it. I get to do it. And then I still the things that I really focus on are like my new music, my you know, I do a little bit of solo performing, but it's really all about clocks for me. Cool. Cool. Can I add a little please, thing here? Because I, I thought of something that you might enjoy and connect with, Lynn. Um, just knowing you over the last 10, 12 oh years gosh. or so. I know it's, it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> That's so cool. Um, it is. It is. And so, you know, I was thinking about inspirations. And later in my musical life, something that became an incredible inspiration for me are other artistic forms oh. and then and drawing from. Yes other creative people yes. in different dis- disciplines yeah. actually started to give me more inspiration than, you know, listening to certain CDs and yeah. things like that. And I think maybe that's a, a process of, of being an artist as you start to branch out. But as, uh, specifically for me, it was dance uh, and working yes. with, and just kind of learning of how choreographers 
um, create things and they're just sort of un, they're unrestricted, you know, passion and grit to go for it. Yeah. And I think maybe you connect with that a little bit because knowing your satellite salon series yeah. that you've mm-hmm. done here and, and all the collaborations yeah. you've done. Yeah, I I I love um, dancers and choreography. Well, all uh, all art, but specifically mm-hmm. talking about dancers. Yeah. Um, recently, I've been so turned on by. Um, I think her last name is is um, pronounced Pete Crystal Pete. This is a choreographer. Oh, her work is absolutely amazing, and so um, wow. it's so musical and so new and fresh. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I hundred percent agree. Is she I, I West love. Coast? I, don't, I think or? she's from Canada, oh, okay. um, and I don't know where she currently is. She's worked with Paris. She's worked in Paris. Oh. She works all over. Um, but just some beautiful, beautiful movement art art and movement you know uh-huh. it's just incredible but yeah i totally agree 100 percent. well we probably have time for one more mu- little musical um uh clip and i know that there is a, a, a do you have a recommendation i know you're yeah. playing gravity coming up and there's a live version of yeah, that here okay so this is mechanical ballet by anders copper and it's a live performance um and we'll just listen to a little bit of it so you can get more of the clocks and motions sound kind of in your ear um and just a reminder you're listening to ksu thunder 91.1 Well, that's just a little sample, but it's quite a low little signal there. So I'm, I just want to make sure you guys know a little bit about what that piece is. Again, it's Mechanical Ballet by Anders Koppel. Um, the group playing is Clocks in Motion. Um, all of these tracks, if you, if you got your ear peaked by them and want to hear more, are either available on their YouTube or on their SoundCloud. Um, but we have time for our favorite question which we ask every week on the show um and the question is what's turning you on this week and this could be anything it could be your favorite it could be a tv show it could be a movie it could be a book it could be a magazine it could be anything it could be clothing it could be food it could be a restaurant it could be whatever you want the idea is just to give our listeners another little insight to your life so um, maybe we'll go opposite. We'll start with Megan first. Megan, what's turning you on this week? Sure. Um, I've been watching this series on Apple TV called Little America, and it focuses on – they're just short stories about immigrants and 
uh, from all over the world coming to the United States. And it's funny, it's sad, it's emotional. There's just so much packed into these kind of short episodes. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking about the past few weeks. Amazing. So it's on Apple TV. Yeah. And and is, is it multi-seasons or is this just the first season? You know, I don't even know. I'm in the first season. I feel like there might be two seasons, but I'm not sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. What's the name one more time? Little America. Little America. Yes. I love it. Yeah, Thank you. it's good. You're welcome. Check it okay, out. Okay, Matthew. What's okay. turning you on so this week? I'm going to start with it. I'm going to go on a fashion route here. I love I it. You and I, we're like, <laughs> we're, the, we're the fashion trenders. Yeah. <laughs> it's shoes. Like I'm feeling the urge to get some more shoes. Some you cool have shoes. great shoes. You Thank have red you. shoes on today. I have red shoes today. But of course, seeing uh, Lynn Lynn's <laughs> shoe selection is always inspiring um, too. But uh, but you know, I think I, I just add quickly to that more than the fashion thing is actually the the experiences I'm having with this group. And I started the year kind of sluggishly about being a creative artist and like, wow, is this, what's, what's next? Is this how it's all, you know, that yeah. sort of thing we always go through. Yeah, we get yeah, inside. Yeah. Right. And I, and then just in the last month, it's, it's really kind of slapped me out of that and turned me around and it's Aww. been the collaborations and, and the experiences with amazing musicians and, and friends. Beautiful. So, yeah, Thank I'll, you. I'll <laughs> All right, Chris, what is turning you on this week? Yeah. Um well, any anytime we uh we go on tour, I usually have a book with me to like just kind of uh ha- just change it up. You know, we do a lot of rehearsing and all this like high-level stuff. So, sometimes I uh I, I like to just read to kind of wind down. And uh there's a there's a book by David Epstein called Range. And I get really interested in these topics. Um, it's about why generalists uh, succeed in a specialized world. Oh. And I, I think these kind of think piece books are, are just, I think it's really great reading. And there are a lot of different chapters in the book that it deals with, you know, from scientists to music to uh, any other creative or scientific outlet and talking about how being broader um, – you know, having broader knowledge and information in many ways helps you creatively problem solve. Mm. You can find more creative ideas because you've tried things outside of the box. And I feel like sometimes, especially, you know, working with this group too, like, you know, we have to find creative solutions. And I know we have, we all have a varied background of, you know, our, where we grew up and like, and all of the experiences we had. So I often kind of think about that you know, for the group. And it's like, wow, that we've really just come up with solutions that I never would have come up with on my own. Cool. And so, yeah, the book uh, Range by David Epstein, I highly recommend it. It's a really fantastic read. Cool. Thank you. I'm curious about that. All right, Sean, what is turning you on this week? So this week is tour, but <laughs> I'm going to actually start a little before this week because I want to give you a little taste of my home life. I am a hobby board gamer. Oh. Mm-hmm. My wife and I play board games together. It's like one of our one of our shared hobbies. You have a lot of separate hobbies. That's one of the things we do together. How fun. So we are about 50 games into our Gloomhaven campaign, which is like a really nerdy game. But it's fantastic. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but it's like a board game where you play cooperatively against the game. How fun. And you're like little fantasy characters going through dungeons and killing monsters and collecting That's treasure. Cool. And it's like a really fun little choose your own adventure story that we're playing together. That's awesome. It's great. 
Hobby board games are amazing. Uh, and my tour thing that's turning me on, besides these amazing people that I'm playing music with, is my Ford F-150. <laughs> that is, you know, I the mean, we're car. driving this thing a lot of miles for this tour, and it's holding up great. And I've had a lot of different minivans and tour vehicles, but this one's the best one. Does it have a name? I'm not a name my vehicle and marimba kind of guy. Okay, okay. I don't know. I'm weird. I like I, I like to name people, but not yeah. and animals, you yeah. know, but not so I mean, much. The rest like, of us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Matthew's instruments have names and more power to them, but I'm not the I'm not the naming type. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll let them do it for me someday. Well, we totally ran the gamut there. Everything from yeah. shoes to TV to board games to cars to books. Well, that was awesome. Lots of inspiration for everyone. All right. Well, that's pretty much all the time that we have. And I just want to say to you guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks, Thanks so thank much. You. Yeah. Thanks. Yay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out seu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.